I'm Marco Werman. This is The World. The youngest victim of last week's Boston Marathon bombings was laid to rest today. Eight-year-old Martin Richard was buried after a private funeral. A second funeral for the MIT campus police officer allegedly killed by the bombing suspects last Friday was held today as well. The lone surviving suspect, Jokar Tsarnaev, remains in the hospital. At this point, officials reportedly believe he and his older brother, Tamerlan, acted alone without support from any terrorist organization. But investigators are still digging into the suspect's past to find out why. Christopher Dickey thinks past attacks offer a pattern when it comes to the behavior of the perpetrators. Dickey is Paris bureau chief and Middle East editor for Newsweek and the Daily Beast. He says terrorists, whether homegrown, international or a hybrid, share certain characteristics. First of all, they're almost always young men. There's always, almost always this, what you might call the testosterone issue. They're young men with a lot of energy, a lot of frustrations. They want to do something. They don't know what. And that often leads to a lot of alienation. Then you have them identifying with a narrative. And this is a point where there's usually a lot of confusion. People think that they're identifying with Islam or they're identifying with wars of national liberation. To some extent, they are. But what they're really doing is identifying themselves with the idea of rescuing an oppressed people. And they don't have to be oppressed themselves. I think if you look at the records of terrorists, like, for instance, the 7-7 bombers in London, they were not oppressed themselves, but they felt that they were carrying out terrorist acts in some ways to help liberate the oppressed people of Iraq or Afghanistan or what have you. And, of course, there's a long, long history of people fighting to liberate Irish territory or liberate Palestinian territory and so on. So that narrative is very important because it's almost chivalric. Uh, These people see themselves as knights in shining armor. Mm. What do you think the narrative was for the Sarnayev brothers? I think the Sarnayev brothers uh, were a classic reflection of this. First of all, particularly the older one, Tamerlan. He was a boxer. He was an athlete. He had a lot of, of juice, if you will. And he was a very frustrated guy uh, who came from a people, the Chechens, uh, but also in a broader sense, the people of the Caucasus, who have been invaded, occupied, deracinated to a large extent, oppressed. And yet he grew up in the relative privilege of the United States uh, from the time he was a, a young teenager. So that's actually a classic case. You have the combination of the narrative of the oppression of these Muslim people of the Caucasus Uh, At the same time, you have his probable sense of guilt that he was not actually oppressed himself, which is actually a profile that you see with many, many of these terrorists. If any attackers are prompted by narrative, as you say, what role does theatricality play in how they decide to operate? The theater from the early 70s, when the Palestinian terrorist movements were at their height, there was a realization that you could take your cause and yourself and project yourself on the global screen. You could be famous around the world and you could make your cause famous around the world, but you could also make yourself as an individual famous around the world. And I think that that has influenced a lot of these guys. I mean, it was very interesting when we were dissecting the 9-11 plots and what came before and what came after and looking at the movies that uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the mastermind of 9-11, liked to watch. And he liked to watch uh, Roland Emmerich disaster movies like Independence Day or uh, even Godzilla because that sense of spectacular violence is what he wanted to project on the global stage. And, And that, in fact, became the measure for terrorists everywhere. 
Christopher, I got to say, I, I live across the street from a basketball court in the summer when it gets really hot here in Boston. I see kids doing slam dunk with the intention of smashing the glass on the backboard. I mean, I could see testosterone narrative and theater fitting into that as well. Are you saying that the same dynamics are at play? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, you can have all those dynamics in play, and it doesn't necessarily mean people will be terrorists. But what I wanted to get away from in this article on the Daily Beast, and also just I think we ought to get away from it in our analysis, is that the idea is that, that terrorism is founded in some verse or other of the Quran or in the faith of Islam, or for that matter, in the Catholic faith or the Hindu faith or what, what have you. All of those can be used basically to aid and abet the creation of that narrative. But most of the people who are actually involved in terrorist acts are not, I mean, far from it, religious scholars. They tend to sort of cherry pick the things that they think reinforce what they already want to do, which is identify with an oppressed people, say that they are fighting for them and project themselves on the world stage. Christopher Dickey, the Paris bureau chief and Middle East editor for Newsweek and the Daily Beast. Christopher, thank you. Thank you.